Thanks for joining us and welcome back to the Watchman on the Wall podcast. Periodically, we'll bring you true stories of angelic encounters, heavenly visitations, near-death experiences, as well as modern-day prophecies that are relevant to us today. When we come back, we'll begin our next episode. Hello and welcome back. Today we're going to hear some inspiring stories of angels, near-death experiences, as well as deathbed visitations. So sit back, relax, and be prepared to be inspired. Bruce Van Nata loved trucks, and his job as a self-employed diesel mechanic helped this Christian family man live out his power truck dreams and provide for his wife and four children. He never gave a second thought to the dangers of working on engines that weighed thousands of pounds until November 16, 2006. I was working on a Peterbilt logging truck about an hour from our home. And the guy that I was working with that day, the driver of the truck, asked me if I would look and try and diagnose one more problem, one more leak before I left. So if you can picture one of these great big Peterbilt trucks, here's the front bumper. And I slipped underneath that great big chrome bumper feet first and he had had the front axle jacked up in the air and the passenger side wheel removed. The axle is going right across my chest at this point, maybe an inch or two above my chest. Then just as Bruce slipped under the truck, the 20-ton capacity jack holding up the truck shot out from its position. And this 10,000, 12,000 pounds of weight that is on these two front wheels on this axle came down across my midsection, basically like a blunt guillotine, and just crushed me in half. Blood had splatted the inside of my throat, the back of my throat when it fell. And I could see that there was less than an inch of airspace between the bottom of the axle and the cement. So I knew that I was thinner than it, my body was thinner than an inch. The man jacked the truck up off of me. I begged him to get me out from underneath the truck. He didn't want to because he could tell that I had to have a broken back, and I did. Um, my vertebrae and my back were cracked uh, the width of the axle. It was the most incredible pain you can think of. I've never felt any kind of pain like that. The very next thing it is, I just called out, Lord, help me. I called out twice, Lord, help me. Instantly, all of the pain left Bruce's body. At that point, my, I went unconscious. My spirit left my body, floated up into the ceiling, and now I'm, my spirit is looking down on the accident scene from above. The man I've been working with was on his knees above my body. He's talking, I can hear him talking. He's saying things like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But on each side of him, also on their knees, was a huge angel. Their heads stuck up at least this much taller than his head. So if you would have stood them up, they would have had to been like eight feet tall. They did not have wings. They were just very broad shoulders. Again, between the two angels and him, it took up the whole front of his truck. There was a bright light shining around each one of them. They were matching bookends. They looked identical. They just had their arms underneath the truck, not holding the truck up but had their arms angled in towards my body. There was no pain. In fact, just peace, and I can't even describe, words can't describe 
the peace that I felt in the ceiling. Bruce knew he had a serious choice to make. I was definitely on the point, on the verge of life and death. There were two voices, thoughts in my head. One was, shut your eyes, give up and die, and you're just going to go to heaven anyway. It was very loud. There was another voice in my head, thought, much quieter, more of a whisper. And that one said, if you want to live, you're going to have to fight, and it's going to be a hard fight. And next thing I knew, my spirit went back down into my body like that, just like a shot. Bruce was conscious as he was flown on a life flight to the hospital. Doctors there doubted he would even survive the next few hours. His ribs were broken, his pancreas and spleen crushed, and several major arteries had been severed. I had five major places, five places that major arteries were completely severed. I found out from uh, doctors that there was a medical study done in 2001. According to that study by the University of Southern California, they've used my case and compared it against that study. And according to that, they can't find anyone else in the world has ever lived with five major arteries being severed. So I should have bled to death in just a few minutes. So my thought is the angels were there to hold my, somehow hold me together. Bruce stayed in the hospital for over two months and survived five major surgeries. Yet he had overwhelming obstacles to overcome. Almost 75% of his small intestines were crushed in the accident and had to be removed. Adult has 18 to 20 some feet of small intestine, they say, roughly. Somebody came in and told us, they didn't expect me to live much more than a year. I'm going to starve to death. I was losing weight very rapidly. They're feeding me intravenously. Bruce's once 180-pound frame dropped to 126 pounds. But Bruce's family was praying, and his community rallied around him. Then Bruce received an unexpected visitor in his hospital room one day. The Lord woke up a man in New York two days in a row, someone that I met one time on vacation. And he came and prayed for me in the hospital put his palm on my forehead, and when he prayed, uh, he prayed the way Jesus taught us to pray, and he spoke to the mountain, in this case, my intestine, and he said, small intestine, I command you to supernaturally grow back in length in the name of Jesus Christ. And when he did, it felt like 220 volts came out of his palm into my forehead, right into my body, and I could feel my intestines moving around and going up and down. After a long nine months of surgeries and hospital stays, Bruce was eventually able to feed himself and he gained weight all the way up to 170 pounds. When he returned for testing, radiology reports and doctors confirmed that he had almost nine feet of small intestine. His intestines had doubled in length. When they test me, uh, they say that the intestines that the Lord gave me back were twice as good as normal. Even though I don't have my full amount, he gave me several feet back. Even though it's half as much, they absorb the vitamins, the minerals, the nutrients that I eat into my body normally. Over and over the Lord kept confounding the doctors from the, from the point of them saying that I shouldn't have lived, I should have bled to death, to my intestines miraculously, intestines miraculously coming back. Over and over, uh, God was showing that miracles are happening. My pancreas rejuvenated by itself, my spleen rejuvenated by itself. Miracle after miracle after miracle, God just kept showing up and showing himself very real and strong that he is the miracle worker. Today, through their organization, Sweetbread Ministries, Bruce and his family traveled together to talk about supernatural healing. Bruce has also written a book called Saved by Angels. Miracle after miracle after miracle. It's exciting to just see what God is doing in people's lives today and that he is alive and well and he wants to reach people at their point of need. And so we've got a God that loves us more than we can ever imagine. And he pours out his love on us in such an amazing way that it's indescribable.
you hear people say it's like a train. It sounded like a train. It sounded like 40 trains. It was the largest tornado outbreak in U.S. history. Over a four-day period, the National Weather Service confirmed 358 twisters in 21 states, from New York to Texas. On April 27, 2011, delivery man Jimmy Jones found himself right in the middle of the chaos. It was F4. It's over 180 mile an hour winds. I was told, but uh, I, it, it got wider after it had just touched down, uh, probably a half a mile from from where I was at. It looked like it was 250, 300 yards from me when when I first saw it. Jimmy was driving his delivery truck down the interstate. He thought he only had one option to make it to an underpass. They say get in a ditch, but one of that magnitude, I wouldn't have never survived that. It was sucking things up out of the ground. But I felt led to go to that bridge, and I knew I had to get there. They tell you don't get under a bridge. That's the worst thing you can do, but when that's all you got. Once Jimmy made it to the underpass, the tornado was already on him. Jimmy remembers in the midst of the storm, he called out to God. I was praying that the Lord save me. I get out of the truck, jump over the guardrail, and start up that hill. And that hill is about as steep as these walls in this home. And me trying to run, and the wind's already hit me in the face and throwing things. I mean, it's debris coming at me. And uh, I mean, I'm digging, trying to get up that hill. And uh, I didn't think I was going to make it. When he made it to the top of the underpass, someone was already there. When I got up under there, I see this fella sitting on this blanket. I was scared out of my mind. And I run up and got right in his face. I said, sir, we got to take cover, tornado. And he looked at me and he stood up. And it was like everything slowed down at that point. He said, uh, is that right? And that's all he said. And he said, it, no concern. It was just like, what are you worried about? Deep within a crevice under the bridge, Jimmy grabbed a piece of metal pipe attached to the concrete. It felt like a piece of metal up in there, a metal rod that was further back up in there, and I just grabbed it. Debris pelted Jimmy's back. It felt like somebody stabbing you in the back with an ice pick. And then it tried, it had some draw to it. It tried to pull you out. But I was far enough back up in there, and I remember I was pulling hard into that V, and it, they were tied up against my shoulder. After what felt like an eternity, the wind finally ended. The man was still nearby. When it was all over with, and I come out from that little cubby hole that I was in, I remember looking and seeing him stand back up over there. I didn't see him get up under anything. I didn't see him crawl out from under things. It's just when I, I got out and looked over there, I seen him stand back up. Soon after the twister left, emergency personnel arrived on the scene. I saw my truck tore up. There were people screaming. Paramedics and, and, and police were there on the scene right I'm already. There was a lot of cars flipped upside down, tore up in the road and stuff. The paramedics were looking in the vehicles and they were asking where I was and I, I, I heard them and I, I said, here I am. And I, I run down the embankment, stepped over. I said, I was, I'm up here with this fella and I turned around and pointed and there wasn't nobody up there. There wasn't no blanket up there, there wasn't no man up there. And the only way he could have come down was with me or beside me. He had come down the same way I did because there was so much destruction on both sides of the embankment of that uh, overpass. And I asked people there, did y'all see another fellow? No, no, we didn't see him. Well, well, he, may have got, he may have got sucked up in the tornado. I said, no, he was there. I saw him. I know what I saw. He believes God sent him an angel to help him face the incredible force of that F4 tornado. A preacher friend of mine said that he believed that the Lord put him there to calm me. 
Jimmy says God taught him a few important lessons in the storm. God is and has been wonderful to me. He's a loving God. He's a caring God. He's my Lord and Savior. Here we need to be doing things for Him because when it's all said and done, uh, nothing else is going to matter. Hello again. This is The Watchman. Please join us each week for an exciting and inspirational podcast dealing with angel encounters, heavenly visitations, near-death experiences, as well as modern-day prophecies that are relevant to us today. So tune in each week and share it with your friends. After all, they could use a little inspiration in their life, too. That's the Watchman on the Wall podcast, and now you can find us on YouTube. Well, apparently it's been seen in all faiths and in all corners of the world. Right before Apple co-founder Steve Jobs passed away, he was famously quoted saying, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. But hospice workers who've seen thousands of people at the end of their lives say that's just the beginning. Lauren Daniels has the story of what's waited. It's a phenomenon witnessed around the world as a life is nearing the end. Breathing will change, um, heart rate will change. They feel a little um, unsettled. Often staring at the corner of the room. It's the soul or the spirit of the life force is trying to get going. But they're not going alone. Every religious tradition, every wisdom tradition talks about these beings that come to get us when it's time to die. Unexplained manifestations called end-of-life visions or visioning that are only visible to the patient. The patient was visioning over at that side of the room and this little two-year-old boy said, who's that sitting over there? At Hospice of the Western Reserve, they say entering a patient's room is sacred space. I've had a number of patients who will all of a sudden open their eyes like they're startled um, get a big smile on their face, take one last breath, and they're gone. Although they provide unconditional support regardless of a person's beliefs, they've also witnessed countless cases that defy logic. She goes, oh, when did you get here? And I said, I'm Dave from Hospice of the Western Reserve. I've been here for a while. And she looked at me and she said, not you, George. And, and I turned around and looked, and there was nobody behind me. George was the patient's long-deceased husband. She just kept looking past me and saying, oh, you look so good. And then I found out that she did pass away the next day. They say a parent or spouse is most common. For a man named Ron, his beloved wife, Becky. He actually pulled himself over the side rail and reached out and made like a hugging motion and then laid back down. And within minutes, he died. He had been waiting for her to come get him. For another man, it was the family pet. He said, I can see, and it's beautiful here. It's beautiful. He goes, there's animals. And then he stopped, and he looked at his son, and he says, your dog is here. Yeah. And so, of course, now we're all crying, you know. And um, 
and then it was like probably an hour and a half later that he died. Skeptics say the visioning's nothing more than hallucinations brought on by drugs or disease, possibly the brain's coping mechanism dealing with death. But Dr. Kevin Dieter says not every patient visions, and those who do are entirely lucid. Folks that are dying still can have hallucinations, mm -hmm. um, but they are qualitatively and quantitatively different. And if you try to get their attention and you call them out of that, there's like a transition back to this world, and, and they don't like it. Because most visions involve people already deceased, even if the patient doesn't know it. About two weeks prior, her son had passed away, and they decided because of her condition, they weren't going to bother telling her. Margaret was bedridden for weeks, then suddenly got all dressed up. Her sister, Dorothy, walked in and said, Margaret, she said, you look beautiful. What's, what's going on? She said, Charles came to see me, and he said he's coming back to take me with him. And um, she didn't know that. He had passed away two weeks before. And the very next day, she passed away as well. And afterward. A lot of times I notice a, fee a difference in the feeling from right before they pass away to after they pass away. For some reason, a cardinal showing up seems to be um, fairly common. We don't know why they do that, but they do that a lot. Are you having any pain at all right now? Comforting loved ones and hospice staff members sharing their stories to help comfort you. Just like one of those things that you want to say, wow. It just gives you such great hope. Um, and you wonder who's coming for you, you know? Lauren Daniels, Oklahoma's News 4. Richard Cole and I am 72 years old. I have never been real what I would call religious. I've always believed that there was a God and I believe that there was Jesus but I've had doubts. I've been a doubter uh, before but I'm no longer that. And this happened to me uh, in 2005 so that was six years ago. And so um, how it came about was that uh, I um, was on my way to Monterey. I go up there every year for the historic car races. While I stopped at the stoplight, I had a pain that started in my jaw, right in the mandibular area. Went down my jawbone, down my carotid artery, and into my chest. I said, oh, this is strange. My friend and his wife said, what's wrong with you? You don't look very good. What's your symptoms? I said, well, my hands feel a little sweaty and I feel a little clammy. I said, I don't know what's going on. He says, I'm going to take you to the hospital. I said, oh, I'll be okay. I'll go home and take an aspirin. This will be done with. He said, no, we're going right now. So we went in and they put me on a gurney because there was no room in the emergency room. My blood pressure was extremely high and uh, they gave me a couple of shots right away to try and get my blood pressure down. And then I went right into the uh, x-ray room and uh, they gave me some x-rays and uh, came back in a little while and Steve, the doctor, a friend of mine, says, you have a serious problem. And I said, oh, really? And he says, yes. He says, uh, you have an aneurysm 
But what's worse, it's split, and I think you're bleeding internally. Five o'clock the next morning, I was in the pre-op, the ready room, rather, at Cottage Hospital. Anesthesiologist came in, says, "Well, I'm going to, uh, you know, give you a, give you a shot right now, and then uh, you're going to go off to sleep." I said, "Okay." I said, "Is the doctor here yet?" "Yeah, he's here." So I asked to see him. I said, "Okay, what are you guys going to do to me?" And he says, "Well, he says, um, what we have to do is cool you down to a real low temperature, and when we do that, it'll be just like." chopping a hole in Lake Michigan in the ice in the middle of the winter. Everything's going to stop. Your brain's going to stop and your heart will stop. I said, well, I've never heard of that before. Uh, and I read a lot. And he says, well, he says, we usually don't tell our patients what we're going to do to them or else they'd run down the hall dragging the IV behind them. They told me when I went in that I'd have about a 50-50 chance of making it. I found out later with that kind of operation where they take your heart out, you have a 10% chance of survivability. So the anesthesiologist put the IV in. I went off to sleep right away. And they start rolling me down the hall to the operating room. And then I realized that I was still conscious and I wasn't under yet. It was like I was for a little bit, but then I was awake again. And I saw them roll me into the operating room. And so I wanted to tell the doctors that, hey, you got to give me some more of whatever it was you gave me because I'm not out yet. But I couldn't speak. I didn't have any pain or anything like that. I just could not open my mouth and get the words out, even though I tried very hard to tell them that I was still conscious. So I'm laying on the table, and um, there are three doctors standing over me and two nurses and they all have their gowns on, their mask on and everything, they're ready to go. And I heard the doctor ask the nurse for the scalpel and she got it and she started to open me up from right here down to here, he did, opened me up like that and then they got in a, an electric saw out and started cutting my breastbone open. And then um, I saw them go down and start to take my heart out, and then everything went black. But I was still conscious, but I couldn't see anything. And it was like um, a heavy black fog, and I'm just standing there looking around. I, I couldn't figure out what to do next or what was going to happen next. Right then, two beams of light came over my right shoulder. So I started to turn around and look over my shoulders to see where it was coming from. And then I heard a voice, and the voice was very authoritative, um, not loud, but he says, don't turn around. And I'm thinking, well, why not? And he says, don't turn around, because if you see my face, you'll have to stay here. And he says, now, that, that'll be okay if you stay here, but I have a job for you. And if you disobey me, I won't be happy. And he says, you don't want to see me unhappy. So I said, yeah, well, okay. I better pay attention and do what he says. And then I said, you know, I know who you are. He said, oh, you do? And I said, yeah. And all during this conversation, I had a feeling of where he was, that he was walking back and forth behind me. 
that he was sitting in a white throne, a, just a plain chair, didn't have jewels or anything on it, but just a plain white chair. And um, I could just feel that, and I don't know why. I, I just, that's what I was feeling. The next thing that happened is uh, he said, well, he says, uh, do you have any more questions before you leave? I said, I, I, I said, you know, uh, I got to think about this. And I thought and I thought, I was thinking really hard, what am I going to ask God? Couldn't think of anything. <laughs> I wanted to be really smart enough to ask him something very pertinent. And so I said, well, I'm going to have to revert to an old cliche. What's the meaning of life? And he starts laughing again. I said, what's, what's so funny now? And he says, well, I don't know why, but a lot of people ask me that question. And it's really real simple, but I tell you what, when you come back, we'll sit down. You can ask me all the questions that you ever will have. I'll answer them for you. So I said, okay. He says, okay, it's time for you to go back. And I turned around. I'm sorry, but... He put his arms around me. He put his arms around me. And it was a feeling that I can't explain. It was unconditional love, but it was words. I can't tell you the words. And I'm sorry, but I always act like this because I can feel it again. So, uh, 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 it changed, changed my life. And uh, the next thing I heard was the nurse was saying, I think he's ready to come out of it. His temperature's at 90 degrees. Nine days later, I was discharged from the hospital. First thing I wanted to do was go out and tell everybody I knew what happened to me. Uh, but I'll have to tell you that my life has changed completely. I'm no longer afraid of death. All the problems that I thought were problems are all gone. I don't have any problems. I don't have anything that gets me down. A week later, a guy came in that I knew and he said, I heard about your experience. I said, yeah, I, yeah, it happened, you know. He said, I heard that you were, you know, you had a near-death experience and that you were out for about an hour. And I said, yeah, that's true. And he said, well, the same thing happened to me. And I said, and then I asked him what the meaning of life was. And he says, oh, that's easy. It's all about love. That was the perfect answer. So I got that message right away. Now... I studied the Bible, and it's taken me a long time. I've been doing it for six years. I'm up to Matthew. I've translated every word from the original manuscripts into English. I was baptized recently. People ask me questions about that. Well, why are you getting baptized now? And I said, because it's the right time. You know, I don't know what else to tell them. 
I, I don't believe that you have to be baptized to go to heaven, but I know one thing. I want to follow what Jesus did. He set an example. I want to. So I did. Are you looking for a good quality used car, but don't want to pay an arm and a leg? Well, come into Rainy Used Cars. We have the largest selection in the Southeast. Whether you want a pickup or a quality SUV from mom, you'll find a variety of vehicles to choose from. We even finance. So come in today. You'll find a Rainy Used Cars located near you. Are you interested in scary places? Well, I found a great podcast called Your Haunted Holiday. Each week, sisters Lisa and Lindsay will take you to some of the most haunted places in the world. Their incredible research into how these places became haunted is complemented by their insight into the ghostly activities that are present. They give you information on ghost tours, prices, and much more. That's Your Haunted Holiday. You can go to yourhauntedholiday.com or just listen to wherever great podcasts are found. Thanks again for listening, and if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. Also, give us a like. We welcome any comments or suggestions you might have. We also ask you to subscribe so that you will be notified of all our future episodes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Watchman on the Wall podcast. Mm-hmm.